0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, would welcome you to uh, grab them and turn to the book of Jude. We are going to be looking at uh, a couple verses in it. Um, it's the last book of the Bible before Revelation, so it's nice and easy to find. Um, I have a, a bunch of, of kids, uh, four of them to be exact, uh, at this point, that I know of. Um... <laughs> I don't know what that was. Uh, th- th- our third one, though, Koa, uh, he, is, uh, he is one that gets into a lot of trouble. He's silly. He's goofy. Um, but he also uh, kind of is um, our, our child who, who likes to, uh, to fall, get hurt, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's pretty normal for him to be a little bit, uh, a little bit beat up, uh, but this last, uh, last month, uh, he, he developed a little bit of a, of a rash, what was different, um, and we kind of just thought, ah, oh, whatever, it's a, it's a rash, he's a three-year-old kid, it'll go away, uh, and we just kind of ignored it uh, for a few days, uh, like good parents. Um, and so a few days later, we noticed that the rash, uh, well, it, it hadn't gone away, and it had kind of spread a little bit, so um, like a good parent, we gave them, uh, we gave Coa a, a bunch of Benadryl, knocked him out for three days, and... Uh, uh, and thought, yeah, that, that'll solve the problem. Uh, the thing was, uh, we just kind of thought the issue was a, a rash. This thing that we could see, uh, we just want to take care of it, get, get rid of it before it gets worse, before it gets itchy, before he, uh, he starts itching it and, and, and scabbing over. The, the problem is that we, we didn't realize there was something more going on. And so uh, about a week after we first saw it, we did notice that it had become inflamed and red. He was, he was scratching it, itching it. Uh, it was scabby. Um, and it was, it was really a, a problem that we realized uh, was bigger than just this outward thing that we could see. The, the, the rash had turned out to be a symptom of a greater problem, something underneath, something that we didn't see with our eyes that, that we couldn't just diagnose. And so we started taking him to the, to the doctor. We got blood work for him. We got antibiotics. We got creams. Uh, we got all these different things trying to figure out well, what is it that's causing the rash? We learned that the, the, the rash wasn't the problem, there was something inside. As we look at the book of Jude today, we're, we're going to see this, this same, uh, the same play out. Uh, Jude is going to say that grumbling is a, is a problem. It's, it's ungodly. But not just because as a good Christian we should be happy and, and cheery and never be upset about life or things that are going on, but because it actually shows a greater heart problem. Grumbling is a symptom of, of a greater heart problem that needs to be dealt with with the gospel or else uh, it will, will lead to, to judgment. What we're going to see today is that our grumbling has to be met with, with God's mercy for it to be silenced. And so there's three things in our passage that we're going to see is that grumbling is ungodly. The second thing is that grumbling brings judgment. And the third thing is that God's mercy silences our grumblings. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Jude verse 14 uh, to 16 and read with me. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, their loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage." Our first point from verse 15 and 16 is that our grumblings reveal ungodliness. Now, you might say, and, and I would agree with you, grumbling is the thing that we're going to be focused on. For, for half an hour, we're going to talk about this. This is something that can take up that much time. You're already grumbling just thinking about this. And I, I totally agree. Like, it, it just doesn't seem like that, that big of a deal, does it? I mean, when we think about grumbling, it's just so, it's so normal. It's so natural. It's, it, it's such a thing that we're used to doing. When we meet up with friends, we talk about life and, and all the things that are going on and, and, you know, some things that are going well. But, oh, man, you should hear about what just happened to me this last week. Oh, man, did you hear about what's going on in the world? Oh, did you hear? It's just so normal. It's so natural. It's, it's, it's just something we do. Is it really that big of a deal, because it just seems like everybody likes a good grumble. Everybody likes just to complain once in a while. And, and I would venture to say, in our minds, we would even say something like, grumbling uh, Grumbling isn't anywhere near as bad as, as sin, like other sins especially. I mean, if you just look at the book of, of Jude, 25 verses, a very short book, no chapters, just verses. In, in those 25 verses, uh, let me read you a list of the things that, that Jude calls ungodly and sinful. He said, Those who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. People who did not believe, the angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority but left their proper dwelling. He speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities who indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Those relying on their dreams, those who defile their flesh, reject authority, who blaspheme the glorious ones, Uh, blasphemers, those like Cain, those who followed Balaam's error, those of Korah's rebellion, shepherds who feed themselves, and then goes on to grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage, scoffers following their own ungodly passions, those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Now, if we're going to spend half an hour on anything, I, I can pick a few things in that list that seem more serious than, than grumbling, than, than being un, uncontent, right? There's things that should be warned about, things that no Christian, no follower of Jesus should be doing in that list. We'll give most people a pass on grumbling, though. It, it feels a bit like, you know, when you, when you put grumbling in, in the rest of the list, it's like going to the mechanic, and you get the list at the end. Uh, you know, he's done his diagnostic, and he gives it to you, and he says, you got, you got some big problems that we need to talk about. The first is, um, well, your tires, uh, they're completely bald. Like, uh, the fact that they haven't exploded is, is a miracle. I don't know how you made it here. And you're actually missing lug nuts on, like, three tires. I don't know what's going on. How you... You're, you're not dead is a surprise. He says, but also, your, your transmission. Like, your transmission is completely shot. You know when you put it in the gear, and you, you, you press the gas... You notice how you don't really go anywhere for a while. It takes a while for your car to get going. Your, your transmission is shot. You, you need a new transmission. And have you not noticed all the black smoke? You don't drive a diesel. That, that's just your engine. Your gaskets are all blown. Like, you're going to ruin your engine. And you're like, oh, man, that's a, those are some expensive things. Like, okay. And he flips the last page and goes, oh, and, and by the way, your, your brake fluid is low. Like okay seriously of all the things that you could you could point to I'm sure the windshield wiper fluid is low too but like why would you even talk about that when there's all these these big issues And so the question is for us what is it about grumbling that makes it as bad as the other things on this list why does Jude make such a big deal of it Well like the rash uh, grumbling is is the symptom it's it's the thing that presents itself that we see it's a symptom of something at the heart level that's wrong. What, what grumbling and complaining, what, what they're showing is a heart that's actually discontent with what God has, has given us, what God has done for us, and ultimately with who God is. Grumbling is, is something that, that, that builds up in us and says, I, I don't have enough. I'm not satisfied. I need, I need more. And grumbling itself, it doesn't end in and of itself. If we if we let it go, it bursts like a dam and leads to rebellion. It tries to unseat the king. And Jude actually gives us the point from number sixteen with Korah's rebellion. Let me set the story for us a little bit as we jump in. So we're not just jumping into the middle of the story. But Korah and his his clan was part of. The Levites, the Levites being uh, one of the tribes of Israel who were chosen to serve before God as, as priests in the temple, the tabernacle. Uh, these were, were chosen families who were supposed to take care of, of the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, the, the, the clan of, of Kohath, had Korah in it, but also um, Moses and uh, and his brother Aaron, and uh, both of them had been chosen to serve. But but obviously Moses and Aaron were kind of elevated; they they were above some of the other the other people. They were in the mouthpiece. They were the people that that God spoke to and and through. And so for Kohath. Uh, sorry, for Korah, it wasn't enough that they were the, the guardians over the, the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar, the vessels, the screen, all, all of the things connected to the service of, of God and to his people. It just, there was somebody who had more. And so this is what happens in number 16. Starting at verse 3, then we'll jump down to 7 to 11. They, this is speaking of Korah and his, his people, assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, "'You've gone too far. "'For all the congregation are holy, "'every one of them, and the Lord is among them. "'Why then do you exalt yourself "'above the assembly of the Lord?' "'And Moses said to Korah, "'Hear now, you sons of Levi, "'is it too small a thing for you "'that the God of Israel "'has separated you from the congregation of Israel "'to bring you near to himself, "'to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, "'to stand before the congregation, "'to minister to them?' That he has brought you near to him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And you would seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it's against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is it that Aaron, uh, what is Aaron that you grumble against him? When you look back at, at the Exodus story of the Israelites being saved from, from Egypt and you look at their journey from Egypt all the way to the promised land, there is much grumbling. There is there's much complaining. They complain about food. They complain about water. They complain about walking. They complain about not walking. They complain about the people around them. They complain about not being in the promised land because the people there, they, they, they complain a lot. 21 times in the ESV, it says just grumble, not to mention all the other things that they did. So why does Jude use this example? Why does he use Korah's rebellion as, as a unique one? And I, I think the reason is because there was a special measure of grace that, that Korah and, and his people had experienced. I mean, when you, when you look at the fact that the, the Israelites were chosen amongst all of the nations, not because they were greatest or best, but God says, because you were least, because I wanted to show my, my grace. I wanted to show what I'm like to you and to the world. And so out of all the nations, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, are chosen. And then the 12 sons. And out of the sons, only one, the, the Levites, were chosen to serve before God. And out of all the sons, uh, you know, Korah and his family were chosen to serve in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle. You, you would think that that they would look at what they had received, at, at the position that they had before God, and they would, they would go, wow, look how much we have to be grateful for, to be thankful for, that we get this opportunity, that we, we get this role of serving before God. They had experienced more grace in, in a certain way than the other, nation, or the other tribes, the other nations. And yet it wasn't enough. They wanted more. They weren't satisfied. And I think the reason that Jude uses that is because he's writing his letter not not to non-Christians, not to people outside the church, not to people who have left the church, but he's writing it to, to us. People who claim to have experienced the grace of God. A people who are far from God, stuck in our sin, in our rebellion, that he saved, that he opened our eyes. He took us from darkness and into light. He, he took us from being orphans who were far from God to being adopted into his family, chosen for an inheritance. He took us from being a people who were destined for, for an eternity, separated from him in hell, to, to a, a people who are with him for eternity in heaven, experiencing the fullness of life that we were created for. We're supposed to see that, that we, as followers of Jesus, have been given so much that how could we sit and, and grumble and complain about the things that we don't have? How could we sit here and think, God, you haven't, you haven't done enough? You know, for somebody that you, you love, you, you care about, you, you bless, that, that you value, that you give time and energy to, when you've done so much for somebody and then they turn around and go, what's next? Is this, is this all you're going to do for me? It's, it's such a slap in the face. Don't, don't you see how, how good you have it? Don't you see how much I love you that you would, you would turn around and, and say something like that. that? You wouldn't care about everything that I've given you, everything I've, I've sacrificed for you. And there's one line from number 16, verse nine, that gets me every single time. This whole week that I've been prepping, it's just this, here now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing? And I think that that wraps up this idea of, of our grumbling. We think it's too small a thing what God has done for us, for who he is, how he's blessed us. Here now, Tri-City Church, it's a too small thing that God has taken you from darkness and brought you into light. That he's covered your sins with the righteous, sacrificial blood of Jesus. So that now you're accepted, brought into the family of God and given an, inher- an eternal inheritance that cannot be taken from you. That you would seek more. Therefore, it's against the Lord that you're grumbling. Grumbling. Our hearts reveal this ungodliness when we grumble. If you're not part of the church and you're here, maybe uh, maybe you're not a Christian at all, I'll, I'll say it this way. Is it too small a thing that you have, you have breath? You have life? That you could even be here and you could grumble against a God who's given you everything that you are and you have? That you would have the mind to be able to say, it's not enough, I need more is it too small a thing that you could even rebel against God? And so the question I have is, is what do we think we deserve? I mean, what, what do we think will make us satisfied now in this life and also in the life to come? Well, what do we believe we deserve? What do we think we are owed? See, our... Our grumbling shows this this problem in our heart that says, God, you haven't given me enough. You aren't enough. I need more. But when we really look clearly at the grace we've received, at the life that we have, is it too small a thing what God has given us? Our very existence, our very breath, our mind and our ability to even question it. Is it too small a thing what God has done for us? Jude doesn't just say, though, that our, our grumbling is ungodly. He actually tells us in verse 14 that our grumbling brings judgment. See, if, if grumbling leads to all-out rebellion, if grumbling leads us to want to depose the king and get him off of his throne, then, of course, he's going to warn us because it means war. And, and the Bible is, is really clear from beginning to end that, that God is on the throne, And and nobody's taking him off of it. Which means there's only one thing for those who rebel against God. It's, It's defeat. We need to hear this warning very clearly. And, and it's a blessing that we have this warning because, because God says, I, I don't want to just judge. I, I want to convict you of this sin. I want to I convict this heart problem that you have so we can actually, we can heal it. We can, we can stop it from, from bursting like a dam that has, has too much water behind it. I, I want to deal with this so that I don't have, I don't have to condemn you. Jude tells us two stories in, in this short book of how rebellions have ended. Korah's rebellion ends very, very quickly, very abruptly. Um, after Moses has told the people, you, you need to stop this. Like, think about what God has given you, that he would dwell with you, that you could serve him in the temple, in the tabernacle. Think about what you've been given. Stop this and and remember the grace you've received. And they reject it. And Moses says, everybody get away from Korah, from his people, from the possessions. Get away from them. He says, if if God allows these people to go down to the grave normally, naturally, they die of old age like everybody else, then you'll know that they have not sinned, they have not rebelled. But if God judges them in a new way that we've never seen, if he opens up the ground and swallows everything whole, you'll know that this is a rebellion that is being judged. And as soon as Moses finishes, the ground opens up and the people and the possessions, everything is gone. It was was a judgment that was immediate. They had the opportunity to repent. They had the opportunity to turn. They had the opportunity to dwell with God, and they rejected it. They weren't satisfied with what God had given them. But there's a second rebellion that Jude talks about in verse 6. He's talking about the angels. Verse 6 says this, The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority But left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under the gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Satan and his angels were given, I mean, I just can't even imagine the opportunity to be face to face with God, that that he created you to serve in front of him, that there was no barrier that way, they they, they were just with God, they saw his glory and his majesty, his might, they saw his creative purposes, and they, they, they saw everything And they still didn't have a satisfaction in who God was. They they also wanted more. It led to a rebellion, a war in heaven. And a third of the angels of Satan were cast down. And Jude tells really, really clearly, they're kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. We need to hear the warning from from Jude. He's clearly showing us that, that grumbling isn't just... Unsightly. It's, it's not just something that no Christian should do. It's not just something that, that we should hide and, and bury. There's a heart issue behind it that needs to be dealt with. There's a rebellion that is growing inside of us. And as we allow grumbling to grow, we know where it leads. He's saying, don't let it go there. You have to hear the warning this morning that grumbling shows that we're not content with who we are before God, the station, the position, the condition that God has given us. And more than that, we aren't content with God. Jude tells us that God doesn't spare the angels. God did not spare Korah and his followers, and he will not spare us if we rebel. Be warned, there's an end for the ungodly, for those whose hearts are rebellious, who turn away, and grumbling is just a symptom of that. How, how do you see your grumbling? When we, when we complain about the things in this life, when we complain about our work or our money, our, our car that broke down, the house that needs to work, when we complain about our friends, our family, our spouses, our kids, when we complain about the things that we do, the things that we have, the things that we don't have, what, is it, what does it reveal? How do, you, how do you see it? Is it, is it just a small thing something that we should only do for a little bit and then, and then, you know, quiet it? Or do you see it as the beginning of a rebellion? Jude tells us exactly what it is. We need to be convicted of that this morning. I, I joked earlier uh, about, you know, the car and the mechanic who had the, the brake fluid low. Um, that's partially a true story. Um, I was on my way to work uh, a few years ago and I noticed that uh, the brake pedal... Had to get closer and closer to the floor before the brakes started doing something. Um, very fun commute to work. Um, terrifying commute to work because when I got there, I, I dropped off the car and I, I told my mechanic, who actually was next to my workplace, I said, hey, like, I don't know what's going on, but my brakes, my brakes aren't working very well. Can you figure out what's, what's going on? So I came back later that day and he said, oh, yeah, your brake fluid is low. And I was like, oh, that's That's a, I think, I don't know anything about cars. I think that's an easy solution. Let's just, let's just fill her up. How much is brake fluid? And he's like, well, I I could fill up your, your brake fluid and send you out of here. It's, you know, it's $11 for brake fluid. Uh, the, The problem is the fact that your brake fluid is low means that there's a bigger problem. If we don't actually take care of the broken brake line, you on a, on a trip, if you hit your brakes too hard, like you could just rupture it, have no brakes and be in a serious car accident. You have to take care of the problem. You can't just try to silence the symptoms. And so it is with grumbling. See, the thing is, I, I think if we're honest with ourselves. Many of us are, are grumblers, complainers. Many of us, as we look at life, are not fully satisfied with, with what we have, with who, with who God is, we, we kind of middle around with, with vices and pleasures, trying to satisfy urges and, and, and satisfy things that we believe will make us happy, will fulfill us, will, will make us satisfied. And so what is it that we could do to truly keep ourselves from grumbling? Jude doesn't leave us wanting for that answer. In verse 20, 21, this is what he tells us. He says, but you, beloved... Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the spirit uh, in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. See what what actually solves our problem with grumbling is when we actually meet with god 's mercy god 's mercy will ultimately silence our grumblings. Our response when we find ourselves grumbling. isn't just to try to quiet it or or try to still it or or try to find satisfaction in in something that we can just kind of grab hold of here and now. That that doesn't lead to a silencing. That's just like a, a temporary muting that comes back. We have to wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that entails three things from verses 20 and 21. The first thing is that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. What that means is that we remind ourselves of the foundation that we've built our lives on. We, we look back at where we were before we experienced the grace of God. Before, when we were sinners, when we were enemies, when God saved us out of darkness. We, we look back to who we we were and then we look at the foundation, this, this new life, and we say, this is the thing that will actually lead to eternal life. This is, this is what has saved us. This is who has saved us. We look back at the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, what he has done, how he has blessed us, loved us, been gracious on us. We, we remember, we look back, Often in life, it feels like we're walking and we're stuck looking at our feet and only seeing the mud that we're in, and we forget to look back at where we've been, the great places, what God has done for us. And we just get so bogged down right now. We have to look back. It would be foolish for us to look back at the grace that we've received, the forgiveness of sins that we've had through Jesus. And then look at the the thing that we're dealing with now and say, this is bigger than that. My my, my problem right now, the thing that I'm face-to-face with is bigger than what I've received through Jesus. When we look at the grace we've received with what we really deserved, what we've really earned, and we look at what God has done for us, we have to actually put what we're dealing with right now into perspective. We build our lives on the foundation of Jesus on the grace we've received. That's the first thing. The second thing we do is we pray with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Uh, Instead of grumblings, we have godly groanings. So uh, I would love it if you had time uh, today, next couple days, to look at Romans 8, at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10. These two passages talk about In the midst of life, when when things are going on around you, whether it's it's health or whether it's persecution, whether it's trial, whether it's pain, whatever it is that's coming into your life, the hardships that you're experiencing, the groaning of the Spirit helps us look forward. It, It helps us look forward to the promise that we've received now that will be fulfilled we build ourselves on the foundation. We, we look back at the grace we receive, but the Spirit helps us to groan for the eternal things, the unshakable things, the things that will happen, that will make everything that we're experiencing right now seem like nothing. Romans 8 says it, all of this stuff isn't even worth comparing with the future that we have. Like we understand, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this, that our bodies, these, these tents, this life that we are living is, is fading away It's like a tent that's being torn apart and there's a better home for us. And if all we're trying to do is is keep this tent sewed together and and, and protected, we're we're gonna forget that there's something better for us. There's an eternal hope, an eternal life. Sin will finally be dealt with and we will see God face to face. The Spirit helps us groan for that. Helps us long for something better. It's really easy to think that right now, this thing that I'm facing right now is, is the only thing that matters. William's thing the last couple of days, whenever there's a toy that he wants to play with and somebody else is playing with it, it's it's the only thing I want. <laughs> right now. Right now, it's the only thing you want when we look back at the grace that we've received and we look forward to the mercy that we're waiting on, this thing just, it shrinks. We pray with the Holy Spirit, we groan for the eternal things, knowing that everything we face in this life, all the hardships, persecutions, trials, pain, God is using those to prepare us for eternity. We look back at the grace, we look forward to the mercy. The third thing we do is we keep in the love Of God. Now, does this mean that we we stay in God's love for us or that we continue to love God? Well, it's it's one and the same. It's one and the same. Um, we love God because He's first loved us. We we love God and understand how to love because we understand God, His love for us. It's 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 tied together. We didn't love God and then He loved us, it's a it's a response. And really staying in the love of God means that we will live obedient lives. We, we will follow what, what this wonderful, amazing Savior has done for us because we, we see the gift that we have been given. We see the blessings that he has given us. And we say, obviously you know best. We're going to follow your way, not my way. I, I'm not a good king. You are. See, obedience, love for, for God is the opposite of rebellion. It's submission to what God has, has told us, what he's... What he's given us, what he's he's called us to, we we actually say, I I trust you. I believe that your way is best. I will live a life of of submission and obedience. Staying in the love of Jesus is a life of of submission and obedience because it shows that we really do love God and we understand his love for us. When we rebel, when we sin, when when we go away from him, we don't understand how good he is. We don't understand his heart for us. And we prove that we don't understand how to love him. We look back at the grace that we've received. We look forward to the mercy that we're waiting for. And we live a life of obedience, trusting this good king. All of this is what it means to, to wait on the mercy of Jesus. The fulfillment of the love, the grace, and the work of the spirit in our lives. What are we waiting for? What is it that we're longing for? What is it that we're groaning and grumbling over? What the Bible tells us is we're supposed to groan and grumble and, and long for that face-to-face encounter with Jesus. When sin will be dealt with, when there's no more brokenness, no more pain, no more tears, that the work of Jesus is finally fulfilled and, and we are with God forever. That's what we're supposed to long for and want. That what we're supposed to see is the only thing that will satisfy all of these groanings and longings that we have. What are we, what are we waiting for? Think for a moment. What, what is it that we find ourselves groaning about most often? Complaining about? I mean, maybe some of us are really good and we can't think of something. Just turn to the person beside you that you came with and ask them, what do what, what I always groan about? What do I complain about? Talk to a, a friend, a family member, a workmate. Talk to your kids. We know that there are things that we groan and long for that we, we think will satisfy or that we, we think are not good enough. And then look back to the gospel. Look, look back to what we've received in the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Look forward to the promises that we're waiting for and hold up that thing and say, is it, is it worth it? If this is really dealt with, will it change what I've received and will it change what I'm waiting for? And ask the question, if, if I continue to grumble and complain and allow my heart to be fixated on this, where does it lead? Does it lead to contentment? Or will it actually lead to condemnation? Lead me not to be satisfied with God what he's done. As we go, my, my hope is we don't leave thinking, let's just deal with the, deal with the grumblings. Like, if I, if I just don't grumble, I'll be okay. That, that's not the solution. The solution is to deal with the heart problem underneath. I hope that as we go and as we think of all the ways that God has has blessed us, the ways that he has given us so much and the promises that he's given us for eternity, that we would be able to have our hearts turned and we'd be filled with thanksgiving. We'd be filled with worship, filled with gratitude, that grumblings would be silenced as we meet with God's mercy. Pray with me as we go. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that this morning, something like crumbling, which can seem like nothing, God, you can convict us of it. You can show us where it leads, the the, the foolishness of it, as we look at it and put it in terms of our, our grace and the mercy that we've received, the love that you have showered on us. God, I do pray that we would be able to put all of the pain and the suffering, all all of the, the situations that we face in this life into perspective, that we would hold it up before you and what you've done. And God, it would disappear, that our hearts would be stilled, our hearts would worship and be filled with thanksgiving. God, would you do a great work in us and through us? Would the people around us see a contentment in us, not from what we have in terms of our material things or relationships here, but God, they would see a contentment with you. God, work in us, work through us. Would you save us? Would you save those around us? We pray in your great name, amen.